headlines from most of them claiming that Stalin is harassing him and interfering with his ability to do his work. Um, and then after that... Uh, he broke all my pencils. I can't write an eighth letter. He stole all my post-it notes. He took everything from me. Took away my knife to make jam on bread. He took all my pencils and he sharpened them down too small to hold. He did not sharpen them all the way down, but just too small to hold so I can't write letters. This guy it is hurts, a... hurts hand. This guy is a sharp- real bastard. This guy's a monster. He sharpened all my pencils in a way that the side of the pencil lead is exposed. I hate oh, that. that is the worst. Why would you say that? That is the worst. That <laughs> is the that's, worst. That's the type of bastard Stalin is. All right, welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. It's Steven with the other Steven and Ryan here to hey, co- continue our talk Hi. about Mr. Mr. Leon Trotsky. The um, trot himself. The hot to trot himself. Trion um, lot. And his downfall that eventually comes to him. It's like Trotsky part deuce. Always the better part, like hot shots. And like, yeah. D, and like the Mighty Ducks, like D2. The number two was way better than the first one. Or, yeah, yeah, D2 was better than the first one by far. We need one. Dude, stop, man. We're, the, the, the Mighty Ducks retrospective was supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Christmas episode. Probably tie Leon Trotsky into the Mighty Ducks in Emilio Estevez. Well, that's how he defeated the Whites, was he used a V-formation, which had never been used before in warfare. Just drove right into their lines. <laughs> so last time we, we left off, um, the the Soviet Union had sort of gone through these, these reforms called the New Economic Policy, which was sort of reintroducing um, sort of market systems to the country because during the the civil war there had been what was called war communism which was this essentially what we would consider today like when people think of communism uh, war communism Mm -hmm. is about up there Um, the the government is just sort of rationing things and just sort of collecting produce from farmers things like that Um, and then just sort of sending it out to the rest of the country that, that's so basically a, the exact same thing that the United States did during World War II. Kind of, to a degree. Um, it, it, it's sort of where... Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what the system was for farmers then, but this is where the government takes everything. Like everything you grow, uh, every, like the government okay. just comes and picks it up, which is why the farmers were so opposed to it, because all of their, their crops are being taken away that they've grown... And then it doesn't come back to them. Okay. Yeah, like sense. they were smacking like their kids in the back of the head to get the cereal out of their mouths and stuff. <laughs> Spit out the barley. <laughs> Give it back. We needed the grain. This is for us, not you. I told you to suck on rock. <laughs> There's earthy flavor. <laughs> Jesus, they don't have pika, bro. <laughs> you don't know no, that. that- That'd be like chewing on the rock. <laughs> These are soup stones. Um, during uh, during this period, we're, we're around 1922-23. Dur- during this period, Lenin's health is deteriorating. He'd already been um, shot several times in a, an assassination attempt on him. Wasn't he unhealthy anyway? Like, 
I'm like he just had he had like existing health issues. I'm I'm sure they all do. Trotsky had a lot of health problems. I'm I'm sure their life of you know like moving in between uh, Siberia and the rest of the world and probably being like not that well off um, probably mm. probably led to a bunch of health issues. It would make sense. Um, in in between twenty two and twenty three. Um, Lenin has about three strokes. Like off his golf game? Yeah, he, t- <laughs> he shaved off three strokes, you know. It's, he's doing good. I have good handicap. <laughs> he's down to a birdie. Uh, don't say that too loud. Stalin will get you if you tell him you have handicap. <laughs> I, I was it's- shooting good golf, and the, the communista came and took my strokes. <laughs> he... Um, he, he's not making, like, public appearances. Um, he does still write, and he does still do work when he can, but he doesn't want to be seen in public, mostly because he's bound to a wheelchair a lot of the time. And what year are we talking about here now? This is in 1922. Okay, okay. Um, so in, in 22... This is, this is, Stal- Stalin you're talking about, right? Bound to a wheelchair? No, uh, Lenin is bound to a wheelchair. Oh, Lenin, okay. Stalin is, Stalin is is fine, you know. Queen Bill of Health, you know, absolute specimen. <laughs> Soviet Superman. Superman. <laughs> Soviet Superman. He's like the Soviet Kim Jong-un. Or actually, Kim Jong-il. Like, <laughs> Mr. fucking <laughs> shot like a, a 20. <laughs> like, that was, that was like his score, like a 20. Like, wait, what? <laughs> well, there was that, there was that story, because when he died, ESPN had that article where it said world's greatest golfer dies, and it was that he had he had played a perfect game. He had gotten eighteen holes in one, and then he. Oh, that's what it was. Golf. He got eighteen out of twenty, or he got eighteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. They believe so, it though. Um, <laughs> Clearly, none of them have actually played golf because they believe that. It's totally possible. Yeah. Why not? Um, Stalin <laughs> has been has been elevated to a newly created position which is the general secretary of the central committee. Um, and he forms an alliance with um, these two other communists um, who've, who's, who've popped up a little bit in the background, Zinoviev and Kamenev. Um, yeah. He, yeah, you mentioned them. He, he does this to, to sort of uh, prevent Trotsky from taking over um, because Trotsky is seen as being the, the heir apparent. Um, so he forms this, this alliance, which is called the Troika, um, in order to prevent... Uh, whoa, 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 Trotsky's whoa, whoa. people. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Let's not glaze over that. That's a little close for comfort, don't That's you think? very important. <laughs> it is not like the Troika, um, because the... Um, I, I guess I guess in a modern term it would be Troika, and I, I think Troika is a Russian word, but... So it, it is. is. So listen, I looked this up. Okay, I looked it up. A Troika can be two things... It can be, or I'm sorry, well, I guess it could be three things, but it's what we've talked about, the, the political thing, right? Then there's also a Russian dance called the Troika, and I think it's like when you see those dudes with the fur hats, and they got their arms crossed in front of them, and they're kicking their legs out like, huh, 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 I think, I think that's the dance they're talking about. I think that's called Bro. a Troika. And I then there's like also to, a Russian cart to, that is pulled by horses that is called a Troika as well. I feel like we need to change our logo. <laughs> a Russian dancing man pulling a cart. I think that's what the dance is when they say that the Troika is a dance as well. 
Possibly. I don't want to Google it because I don't want to get put on a fucking watch list. If I'm not already. <laughs> if I'm somehow not already. This fucking guy, man, of all oh, the watch lists I, he could get on, he's on the Russian dance watch list. I They're found searching for the next Dancing with the Stars. I found a, a, a video of a folk <laughs> dancing group, and I, I think it's Israel. Um, and they're doing the troika, and it's where sort of like three people are like holding hands and, and sort of like dancing around. Uh, okay, that makes sense because it's like a three, it's yeah, like a three it's, person thing, yeah. And I'm sure like a troika cart is just like a cart that has three wheels, but it's it, it seems like it's just like a dance, like a traditional dance where you have like three people sort of like go around in a circle and then they form into a circle. I mm. think I like the uh, the little Russian man dance better. <laughs> With the little legs kicking out. Listen, that's a cool-ass fucking dance, dude. I just remember from rough. cartoons a lot as a kid. Some serious shit. So now that, now that Stalin has this, this sort of alliance that he's made, um, Stalin has sort of been in the, the background, he's been doing a lot of the bureaucratic work. He uses his patronage... Um, to, to sort of like give people lofty positions or buy people's loyalty and put people that are loyal to him in higher positions. Um, Stalin is also well-liked because unlike Trotsky, you know, Trotsky was, was front and center in the Civil War and the Revolution. He's sort of associated with that, whereas Stalin is associated with sort of stability. Because Stalin, you know, he did fight in the Civil War. He was a general they don't really see him as being like associated with the turmoil and, and sort of violence of the civil war and the revolution. They see him more as, as a as sort of associated with the state and sort of a, a stable bureaucratic system. Hmm. Uh, Lenin, yeah. Lenin writes this book, or I guess you'd say it's like just sort of a work at this time called Lenin's Testament. And he, he's essentially preparing the, the Soviet union for when he dies and part of this is sort of to, um, to to make sure that there isn't a power struggle. And he proposes sort of changes to the structure of the Soviet Union that would prevent the struggle from happening. And he creates a new position for Trotsky, where he would sort of work alongside Stalin. Um, but Trotsky refuses to accept the new position um, once the Politburo um, uh, approves it. So what was this plan? It, it was just sort of to create a body where they would all be sort of equal, like they'd be on a committee. Because um, usually in the Soviet Union, a lot of communist countries, though there is like a leader at the top, a lot of things are done by committee. Um, usually there will be like what's referred to as the standing committee of the Politburo. And it will be, depending on the country, like about a dozen people. And these are the people who do most of the decisions in the country. Um, like if you saw Death of Stalin... Um, the, the the presidium, the, the okay. group that it focus on, that's that's usually the people that would be determining things within the country. But okay. ulti- ultimately, that that group is their decisions are basically being made for them, right? Well, these guys do make decisions with Stalin. It, it eventually becomes more and more that they're like a rubber stamp for Stalin because yeah, right. he sort of orchestrated so much power once he takes control. Um, but during this period, there actually is, like, a little bit still of intra-party democracy. Oh, okay. Interesting. Which which we'll get into. It, um, so, Trotsky has sort of found 
um, he, he's sort of building up his own faction at this time, which he's been criticized for in the past. Um, and this sort of group becomes known as the Left Opposition. And what happens is, is that in August of 1923, they have what's called the Scissor Crisis. I'm sorry, the what? The Scissor Crisis. Okay. Like... Uh, like a pair of scissors and it's called this because it represents um sort of a price gap and it, or a price graph and there's a price gap as well um that they refer to as price scissors um and it's sort of the diverging costs of industrial and agricultural prices uh, meaning industrial goods are costing are becoming more and more expensive and agricultural goods are becoming cheaper and cheaper which is a problem uh. Okay. So, so the price of industrial goods in in the Soviet Union has rose um, to about 273% higher than their 1913 level, and the price of agricultural goods has fallen to 89% of their 1913 level. So is this where you get the kind of um, trope of you know the food lines in Russia trying to get bread that – costs like an, a, maybe not bread or i think it is it's always bread is like an exorbitant amount of money well that's that's rationing and it's not that you're, you're paying an exorbitant amount for bread it's that you're lining up to be sort of like given your your allotment of bread oh okay all right um so people people queue up and get in line because it's sort of like um a food line where, you, where you're just sort of lining up because if you don't get in the line you're not going to be able to get um, the goods you need. You can't just, you know, walk into a store and pick up a loaf of bread. Yeah, but I'm assuming that's kind of where the trope came from. Yeah, that's like a lot of, you had to line up for a lot of things in the Soviet Union, especially later on. Um, during this period, there is a bit of, of a market. Um, so you can actually, you know, um, buy things as they're stocked. Um, but, but what this means is with the scissors crisis is that peasants are unable to afford goods that are made in factories and they do not sell their produce due to the low value because the value of the produce is so low, they don't really feel that it's worth the effort, you know, of selling it because you're going to not make any money off of selling this. You might as well just keep it for yourself. Yeah, so they just keep it for themselves. They don't grow as much. Um, and because of this growing um, hardship for people, um, because there's a, there's a lack of agricultural goods, um, people in the country can't afford to buy things from the factories. Um, workers in the factories uh, can't find as many um, goods from the countryside because of the agricultural um, ramifications of this. Um, so strikes are breaking out um, due to this situation. Um, two secret groups are uncovered within the Communist Party during this period called the Workers' Truth and the Workers' Group. And they're the very quickly truth suppressed. The yes. Workers' Group. <laughs> Why don't they just merge together? They, they're both sort of these like secret groups that want to return uh, more intra-party democracy. They don't like the way that things are going on in the Soviet Union, so they want things to change. So why don't they just fucking merge if they want the same thing? It just, it's, it's, listen, it's just, it's confusing. Workers' truth, <laughs> workers' group, uh, listen, workers' this, workers' that. Look, <laughs> just unify one workers' party. <laughs> That so, actually sounds like a communist. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's like sounds communist to do that. Like, I, hey I guys, we're all communists here. Just, why can't uh, we just have one party? Why can't we just have one thing? It's so much easier. We all want the same thing. Well, why are we splitting the vote? Was uh, because Jim and Jeff do not get along. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
We don't want to talk about the incident that occurred at the last bake sale, but let's just say some things were said that can never be taken back. And so <laughs> that is why we have the workers' group and the workers' truth. Uh, we're going to start referring to it as the noodle incident, if you've ever read Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So on, on October 8th of that year, soon after this crisis sort of breaks out, um, there's what's referred to as the Declaration of 46. Um, so it's this letter that's sent to the Central Committee that's signed off on by 46 prominent communists. And this is what they, they say in the letter. This is sort of an excerpt from it that gives an idea of what they want. Um, in the fiercest moment of war communism, the system of appointment within the party did not have one-tenth of the extent that it has now. Appointment of the secretaries of provincial committees is now the rule. That creates for the secretary a position essentially independent of the local organization. The bureaucratization of the party apparatus has developed to unheard of proportions by means of the method of secretarial selection. There has been created a very broad stratum of party workers entering into the apparatus of the government of the party who completely renounce their own party opinion, at least the open expression of it, as though assuming that the secretarial hierarchy is the apparatus which creates party opinion and party decisions. Beneath the stratum, abstaining from their own opinions, there lies the broad mass of the party before whom every decision stands in the form of a summons or a command. So what does that mean for the people that nodded off halfway through that? <laughs> Essentially what it means is that these 46 prominent communists, which Trotsky is, is one of them, um, he he they they feel that the party is becoming too too hierarchical um less democratic um so essentially that secretaries are choosing their people and those people aren't bound to the party or the people um they're bound to the person that gave them their job so they're okay. not really speaking up or doing anything that you would think they would be doing in those positions like they should be they're just doing what their their higher up says tells them to do yeah okay Essentially, okay. yeah. It, it's sort of a system of, of patronage that they're sort of going up against, um, and they feel that this isn't right. Well, it's pretty much exactly the system that they wanted to get away from, right? Well, that, that's a system that the, the, the 46 want to get away from. There's this left No, I mean, communism become. in general tries to get away from the consolidation of power in the hands of a few elites, right? And then, in, in theory... But a lot of times what happens, especially after Stalin sort of takes over the party... I should say is, socialism. Sorry, I should yeah, say socialism. Yeah, in, in socialism it does, but in communism, it, it's more of the sense that they're on a mission and that they sort of have to have <laughs> this very uniform, very like top-down system in order to accomplish their goals in order to achieve communism. Just like a fetch quest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but 853 of these things, I'm uh, sick of them. <laughs> so they're not they're not happy about what's going on. Um, so this leads to the formation of a of a, fa a faction called the Left Opposition, which I mentioned, um, and they they're generally opposed to the Troika, which is doing exactly what they're they're speaking out against. The the government, though, after all this happens, are eventually able to alleviate um, the Scissor Crisis um, through controls and increased centralization. Um, so what they do is they um, reduce the cost of industrial production by cutting staffs, um, r rationing production, 
um, controlling wages and benefits and reducing the influence of traders and middlemen who, who happen to be those net men that we talked about before. Um, mm-hmm. these, these sort of uh, middle, middle class sort of merchants that have emerged that are sort of taking advantage of um, this new, um, new economic policy. Um, okay. they, they do this by expanding the network of consumer cooperatives. Um, so they essentially make um, sort of government-owned cooperatives that sell goods. Um, Interesting. So, so instead of, you know, sending goods off to a store that's owned by a private individual or one that's sort of, um, that is sort of allied or subsidized with the state, they send them to these sort of um, people's commissariats of trade, which are government own and run facilities that sell goods all right so the 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 troika seeing that now that trotsky is is sort of like um giving them trouble um they try to find ways um to sort of placate him that won't diminish their power but they're largely unsuccessful because trotsky um rejects these attempts is he about to get exiled again wait well trotsky rejects the attempts but i thought there were 46 is it just i'm confused He's, I'm so he's the high he's the high up one. The other so forty six are people who sort of sign their names to this declaration. Right. Okay. Okay. While they're I see. While, while they're prominent, they know that Trotsky is sort of the head of the organization. Okay. He's the head uh-huh. of the opposition. If they can deal with him, they'll deal with the people that are under him. Okay. That makes sense. On December fifth, the Politburo and the Central Control Commission unanimously adopted the group's uh, final draft as its resolution. And then so the the Troika come up with this this sort of um, resolution they do. The Politburo approves it. But on December 8th, Trotsky, who's, who's sort of in this, um, this commission with them, he publishes an open letter in which he expounded on the recently adopted resolution's idea. And because he's sort of going against what the, the Troika is doing, the, the Troika used this letter as an excuse to launch a campaign against Trotsky, uh, accusing him of, of sort of adopting factionalism. And they, they, they also describe it as setting the youth against the fundamental generation of old revolutionary Bolsheviks. So they're basically saying you're, you're uh, trying to uh, unite the youth against the old people, against like the old guard. Yes, they because a lot of the people sounds very similar to something that goes on recently. Okay, boomer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but this is goes back to sort of Stalin. You know, he just sort of saves everything that other people do, and he sort of keeps it tucked away to use against them. Okay. Trotsky, in, in the following January in 1924, he'll defend his letter in in seven letters that he publishes together as the new course. He wrote seven letters to defend his letter. Yes, I gotta take that guy seriously. Like he's, he's not mad. That's nah, the ultimate not mad. But that's the thing. Like if you you know if you know you're right, then you shot it from the rooftops with seven letters. This is like those guys that are on YouTube that are talking about like why a movie is bad and it's twelve hours long and it's like, talking about an hour and a half. Fucking cinema sins. That that shitty I lo- channel. <laughs> I love seeing the YouTube titles where they're like my response to so and so's response to my response yeah. to so and so's video. I'm like, what the- my response to Fred Rogers insulting uh, Mr. McFeely. I can't wait to see my response to the trilateral troikas, episode number 11, Leon Trotsky, at approximately minute 24. Like, come on, stop. <laughs> <laughs> these, 
these these letters that Trotsky uh, produces, they, they begin this official inter-party discussion, and the left opposition is formally referred to as such. The, the Troika responds to this by using uh, Pravda, which is edited by Bukharin, to publish articles and pieces attacking Trotsky's positions and to promote their own. So, Isn't Pravda like a really good cologne or perfume now? <laughs> Well, that's Prada. Prada. My bad. Yeah, Prada. <laughs> hey, man, I got a Pravda bag. I paid three hundred dollars for it. No, it's I think fucking that's what it was. great. I probably, saw a che- I probably saw a cheap knockoff Prada when Wait, I was in Italy. Did you say? <laughs> did you say Prada bag? Nah, man. It, I, well, I don't know what that is, but I got a Pravda bag for three thousand dollars. Over here, bro. The, the bro, I think you got ripped off, dude. Like, I like rubbing their palms together the second they see Ryan. <laughs> they see me walk in, they're like, oh, we got this motherfucker. Yo, I got this new pair of Sykes. You want these? Hey, Ryan, you want some of these Sykes? I'll put them in the prompter bag for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And what what this does is, due to Pravda, which is a major newspaper, sort of attacking Trotsky on <laughs> Sorry. Fuck! Because you just said, because right? after all that bullshit, you like, you just like, it took us that long just to define the word quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're sitting there just rambling on about fake bags. It seemed just like Pravda, which is a major newspaper. <laughs> it is a, just, it is like, a large just like my high school history teacher. Yeah. Are y'all done back there? Are y'all done back there? Okay, now continuing. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Due to Pravda, the, most of the delegates that are chosen for the upcoming party conference are from the Troika's camp. Trotsky doesn't really win much support in the upcoming conference. Um, he only really wins support within the military because he used to run it, so they, they think favorably of him, and in the university. So in, like, academia. Yeah, and from January 16th to 18th, they have the 13th conference of the Russian Communist Party. At this conference, Trotsky is decried for being in error, and Trotskyism is denounced as a petty bourgeois deviation. Bougie as fuck. Shit. That's (laughs) them's fighting words. Trotskyism? If you follow Trotskyism, you bougie as fuck. (laughs) He's bougie. Because of this, Trotsky's supporters either lose their positions or resign. Trotsky is able to keep his... Um, but he's been effectively boxed out of the decision-making processes by the Troika. So while he does still have his position, he doesn't really get to do much. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the Queen of England. Just you, you got a position, you're the Queen, but you're not doing much. <laughs> yeah. He he's on paper as as sort of having power, but they've through their own machinations have sort of robbed him of his ability to use that power. The Queen of England, perfect. Gotcha. On on January twenty first, nineteen twenty four. Trotsky Trotsky leaves to sort of after this conference he leaves to go on vacation to a to a resort in the Caucasus um, but while he's sort of traveling he learns of Lenin's death Lenin Uh-oh. Lenin dies on January 21st 1924 Trotsky is on the road when he receives the telegram um and Stalin, the telegram just says F Stalin <laughs> F. Stalin <Stop>. sent <laughs> Stop. F. Lenin. Stop. F. Lenin. Stop. Lenin. F. Stop. F. <laughs> There's going to be an entire group of people who are like, what the fuck is F? Yeah. It's wonderful. It, Look it after, up. Google it. F is a popular newspaper in Russia. <laughs> after... No. 
<laughs> that would be the equivalent of, to pay respects, press E. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, we're here. We're, we're, we're here. After, after Trotsky learns of this, he receives a telegram from Stalin telling him the wrong date for the funeral, and Stalin does this to prevent Trotsky from attending. Oh, what a douchebag. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, oh, Trotsky, not that we didn't know Stalin. Did he put the date in Pravda? <laughs> no, it was just a telegram. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tuesday, Trotsky, stop. <laughs> Trotsky doesn't attend because of this, and Stalin uses this to put himself front and center at the funeral, where he is one of Lenin's casket bearers. What a fucking... Oh. What a uh, Askeladd motherfucker. What a douche... Yo, that's a douche move. That's a real douche move. Trotsky sort of discounts the significance of this, but it probably didn't help. Like, he says, you know, that wasn't that big of a deal, but it probably was. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. You're mad. I'm not mad. So after Lenin's death, the the Troika have effectively locked Trotsky out of decision-making. All all decisions are made before meetings by the Troika and their followers, and then when the meetings actually happen, where they're supposed to be making the decisions, they they already just rubber stamped them. Trotsky's control of the military is further decreased when they replace his deputy with uh, with a general named Mikhail Frunz. Uh, Frunz will eventually replace Trotsky. Okay. Trotsky attempts to bring about uh, a sort of reconciliation between the two factions at the 13th Party Conference that May. Um, Stalin, Kamenev, and Zinoviev, of course, work to undermine this. Um, Stalin has already started making veiled threats and criticism of the Troika members as well. So not only are they, they've already boxed out Trotsky. Trotsky is trying to make amends. They're working against that. But Stalin is already sort of, sort of making moves on Kamenev and, and Zinoviev. Making moves to remove them from power. Okay. The left opposition at this point has adopted a general, um, general strategy for the Soviet Union. They believe the the Soviet Union should abandon the NAP and focus on faster industrialization. Um, Trotsky and his contemporaries um, had come to view the spread of a world revolution in 1924 as unlikely as well, so they don't think that the the Soviet Union should be pushing like it did before. Um, Stalin is, is still believes otherwise. He still believes, you know, that the world is ripe for revolution in 1924. And and Trotsky also believes that the, the Soviet Union is incapable of succeeding without a world revolution. Um, during this time, Stalin begins to develop what he refers to as socialism in one country. So let me ask a question. During this time, <clears throat> 1924, what is the like the like the political landscape of Russia? In in what way? Like what's how is it run? How is it set up at this point? It's it's becoming like, break it down for a layman. It, it's becoming more and more bureaucratic. Everything is done through the state. Um, while there are, it's sort of like a China type system where there is a market and there are state run corporations, um, it, it's becoming increasingly um, bureaucratic. Okay. And how many people are up at the top? There's, uh, well, you have like sort of the uh, the Politburo, which is sort of these large bodies of, of Communist Party officials. And then you sort of have um, these, these, a smaller group of people at the top, which is largely um, Trotsky. Um, Stalin, Kamenev, Zinoviev, um, those those people are most the, the the big decision makers. And there's no singularity of a person up top anywhere. Not not yet. Lenin was the person who had that position, and since Lenin has died, no one has been able to move into that position. Gotcha. Wait. Okay. Uncle Lenin's dead. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> no, Uncle Lennon didn't die. No, he's going to play with the dog on the farm that we brought last year. He's been sleeping there in that glass case. <laughs> Uncle Lennon did not die. I guess you guys have never heard that jerky voice. <laughs> Sorry. You ever heard the no. Uncle... Uh, I forget, Uncle Freddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, you gotta check that shit out. I'll just make it the intro to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that That October of 1924... Trotsky publishes his history of the October Revolution called Lessons of October. In it, Trotsky notes that Kamenev and Zinoviev were initially opposed to the revolution happening when it did, which was true. And Kamenev and Zinoviev are not really happy with him publishing that because it's something they didn't really want to draw attention to. Mm -hmm. The Troika, in turn, begins making accusations against Trotsky based on Trotsky's disagreements and conflicts with Lenin and the Bolsheviks prior to 1917. So they bring up all the times, you know, that Trotsky and Lenin were at odds before the revolution. Trotsky's alleged distortion of the events of 1917 in order to emphasize his role and diminish the roles played by other Bolsheviks. Um, so they say that his book is sort of making him look a lot better than he was and sort of making him more important than he actually was. And they also bring up, too, which we talked about, Trotsky's harsh treatment of his subordinates and other alleged mistakes during the Russian Civil War. They, they they really went low with that, huh? They they hit him hard with those those uh those criticisms. Uh, soon after this, in in January of 1925, um, Trotsky is ill and he's unable to answer accusations made against him, and he's removed from the People's Commissar of the Army and Fleet Affairs and Chairman of the Revolutionary Military Council. So he loses <laughs> all of his military positions. Uh, Zinoviev wants to expel. Trotsky from the Communist Party, but Stalin refuses this. Um, Trotsky is able to keep his seat on the Politburo, but he's effectively on probation. Throughout most of 1925, Trotsky is unemployed. He holds minor posts, which are usually like sort of engineering or sort of sort of like unimportant posts. But he resigns from most of them, claiming that Stalin is harassing him and interfering with his ability to do his work. <laughs> Um, and oh, then God. after that, uh, he broke all my pencils. I can't write an eighth letter. <laughs> he stole all my post-it notes. He took everything from me. Took away my knife to make jam on bread. He took all my pencils and he sharpened them down too small to hold. He did not sharpen them all the way down, but just too small to hold so I can't write letters. This guy it hurts, is a it hurts hand. This guy is he a sharp- real bastard. This guy's a monster. He sharpened all my pencils in a way that the side of the pencil lead is exposed. I hate oh, that. that is the worst. Why would you say that? That is the worst. <laughs> that is the that's, worst. That's the type of bastard Stalin is. That's some KGB, uh, early KGB shit right there, man. That's some mind torture shit. Yeah. How come I can't find the, any pencils that don't have that wood on the side of the lead? <laughs> Fuck. Trots- Trotsky during this period also writes his memoirs, which are called My Life. Wow, wow. Yeah, actually, uh, trilateral troika fact, that's where Billy Joel got the uh, name to the song, My Life. (laughs) It's a true story. (laughs) And he always said it in the Borat voice, too. My life. (laughs) My life. I just think that that's a little bit too close to my struggles, and I'm like, ugh. Well, well, uh, Mein Kampf hasn't been written yet. Because this oh, is only so okay, okay. No, it was only 1925. It just, he was shopping around for a like publisher. Couple years dude. later, 
<laughs> he wrote around. it while he was in prison. He wasn't shopping around and, for shit. And, and my struggle was like the the one that his editor, I think it was like the editor, the publisher convinced him to do because he had a much longer title, I think, originally. He had some like really, really long winded, very German like title. And they're like, no, no, that, that'll never do. <laughs> Shorten it. Uh, during this period, um, because uh, people are sort of watching what's going on in the Soviet Union, mostly communists. In other countries, and this American Marxist named Max Eastman, he releases a book called Since Lenin Died, and it details the ongoing sort of goings-on in the Soviet Union and the controversy over Lenin's successor. Um, he, he sort of stands with that Trotsky was supposed to be Lenin's successor and that he's been boxed out by the Troika. The, the USSR denounces the book, and Trotsky is actually forced to write a letter disputing Eastman's telling of events. So not only do they say this book is bullshit, they force Trotsky to write a letter saying it's bullshit. This motherfucker has written a lot of letters in his life. Like, good God, he writes a lot. This is during the period where, you know, a lot of letters to the editor. Yeah. I can see that. Letters their version, like their the original, version of Yelp uh, reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like communism. One star. Right? Waitress seemed nice. <laughs> His reviews of Stalin. One star. Waitress would not leave vodka bottle on table. One star. They didn't I have vodka yet. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck you mean? This. It was banned. <laughs> Believe me, this... how much of a lush Stalin was. They had vodka. Yeah. This, this bourgeois deviationism that that Steve's on is is never gonna do. This fucking bougie bitch. <laughs> Look, me and the other the other members of the Troika, we just there's no such thing as vodka. <laughs> and if Trotsky says that it's a fucking thing, you better believe that's some bullshit Trotskyanism. A <laughs> <laughs> bougie ass Trotskyism. Hey, on December of 1925, um, they hold the 14th Party Congress. Um, at this point, the, the, the Troika has been broken. Um, Kamenev and Zinoviev briefly form an opposition, but are thoroughly defeated. Boy, bye. So Stalin Stalin has sort of um, betrayed them. He, he's sort of taken, taken control, and Kamenev and Zinoviev are, are trying to stop him. Um, when this happens, Trotsky refuses to become involved in any of this, um, and he does not speak at the Congress. So he just sort of sits back. He knows that he's just been sort of had all of his power taken away so he doesn't even bother what sort of comes out of this is what's called the united opposition in 1926 Kamenev, Zinoviev, and trotsky uh, begin to form an alliance uh, to counter stalin but are mostly unsuccessful why is that uh, members of the united opposition they're, they're harassed and intimidated by the secret police um, sometimes expelling them from the party and arresting them and, and trotsky is unable to speak in public um, because operatives that are sort of loyal to stalin um, they just make jeers and interruptions during his speeches. What a bunch of assholes. Okay. What what sort of comes to a head is in 1927, um, in China, the, the Nationalist Party, the Kuomintang, um, who are sort of based in southern China at this point around Guangzhou province, which is around sort of uh, north of Hong Kong. They begin what's called the Northern Expedition, where it's this expedition where this alliance of the Nationalists and the Chinese Communist Party are going to go all the way from Guangzhou to Beijing. So they're going to pretty much go up the the east coast of, of China um, from 
pretty much the very south all the way up to almost the very north. For what purpose? To, to take back the country. Um, China at this point is divided between different warlords. Um, largely what happened is that there was a revolution in 1912. The, the Qing emperor is overthrown. Um, and in the resulting government, um, due to a number of mistakes, um, this general, uh, Yuan Shikai, becomes sort of the dictator of China. Um, okay, and so, under so when you say they're going up the coast, they're going up the coast, like, militarily. They're going yes. to take shit. It, okay. it's, it's a military expedition. It would be like going all the way from Florida to probably, like, like Philadelphia. Okay. I, I think Beijing um, is, is about, like, if you look at a map, um, it's about at the same latitude as Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. Trotsky, though, um, he's argued against that the Soviet Union supporting the nationalists um, because the nationalists though um, they are they are not a communist Marxist party they are a Leninist party um, they they have more in common with sort of um, like Baathism like sort of those Arab nationalist parties that emerge in the Middle East um, at the end of World War II they, they have more in common with that they're sort of this anti anti-capitalist but nationalist populist sort of political party that's almost like a big tent um, so it has lots of people, um, some that are more on the fascist side, some that are more leaning more to Marxism. And they formed an alliance with the Chinese Communist Party. Because of this, you know, Trotsky doesn't believe they should trust them, but Stalin thinks that they're the only ones able to defeat the imperialists. Um, secretly, though, um, Stalin wants the nationalists um, to, to sort of win and then sort of exhaust themselves and then have the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, take them out. Um, oh, fucking traitor. So his his big plan is essentially to support and use them, um, and then once they've exhausted themselves, um, have the Chinese Communist Party just sort of take them out. They're all tucked out. Move in. What dick? The, the alliance, though, between the Nationalists and the Communist Party um, sort, of, sort of dies when they reach Shanghai. Um, the Chinese Communists get there first. Um, they go into the city and they begin organizing people. They they sort of ally with labor unions, and, and they've sort of already started taking over when they get there. Chiang Kai-shek, who who's like studied in the Soviet Union, he went to military school in Japan, and he also went to military school in the Soviet Union. He doesn't like the look of this, um, so he decides to end his alliance, which he had always been not really a big fan of, and he just massacres the the communists and their allies. Oh man! They they, they literally just like machine gun people in the streets. Yeah, that's disgusting. After this occurs, because Stalin's been proven wrong, um, he doubles down on his persecution of the opposition. um, Because they they made him look bad, he feels that they need to be eliminated even more. How do you... (laughs) We're going to eliminate them twice. You're going to be dead. And dead times two, which means you're times two dead. (laughs) Super dead. Really, really dead. Um, so after this, he doesn't just like rob them of their ability to do um, to do anything, just just sort of holding positions and not having any power. He just completely expels them from the committees they're on, from the party eventually. Okay. In October of 27, uh, Trotsky and Zinoviev are expelled from the Central Committee. Um, the following November, the United Opposition uh, attempted to plan commemorations for the October Revolution. Uh, it would be the 10th year anniversary, um, but they're denied... Um, their ability to do such, and the resulting protests are, are dispersed. Um, following this, on, on November 12th, Trotsky and Zinoviev are expelled from the Communist Party. Um, Kamenev is ex- soon expelled afterwards. 
um, as well as other prominent um, members of the opposition. Um, and this is all done by the, the 15th Party Congress that December. Um, they, they'll still continue um, expelling people into 1928, and they removed just anyone who had any sort of um, support for the trio in the past. Mm, okay. Um, Zinoviev and Kamenev and their supporters, um, they, they try to get back into Stalin's good graces. Um, they renounce their alliance with the left opposition and attempt to get back into good standing. So so they they sort of say like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not with them. We're with you. They start groveling. What rats. January 31st of 1928, Trotsky is sort of asked um, to recant his beliefs and his stances, and he refuses to, and he's exiled to, to Kazakhstan. Once again, I'm kicked out of my country. Well, he's Kazakhstan is in the Soviet Union. Once again, I'm kicked out of my home to another part of my country. So he's he's exiled sort of to, to Alma-Ata, which is um, the capital of Kazakhstan. And then Omaha, Nebraska. I, yeah, I thought you said Omaha. I was like, yeah, well, they please, get, he, please, got to Kazi- to he got to Kazakhstan and they just decided, would someone get Leon the fuck out of here? <laughs> we send him to, uh, please, no, send anywhere him, but Omaha. We send him to Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> Alma Ata. I don't like the Huskers. <laughs> He's sent to Green Acres. <laughs> Jesus. That February, um, Trotsky, his wife, and his son Lev are exiled to Turkey. Oh, they kicked out the whole family. Damn. His one other son um, stays. Lev goes with them. Um, but Sergei, um, he stays in the Soviet Union. Okay. Um, so not all of the not all of the family are sent, um, but most of those Trotskyites who remain, including his son, um, they die in the Great Purge. When he gets to Turkey, um, initially the the Trotskys are kept in the Soviet embassy in Istanbul. Um, so so they're forced to live in the embassy. Um, they're they're obviously you know sort of stuck there. They their comings and goings are controlled. Um, but that April, um, Trotsky and his family are, are sort of turned over to the Turkish government, and they're moved to this island that's sort of, um, it's a two-square-mile island south of Istanbul um, called uh, Buyukata. Okay. Okay. Um, it's sort of like to the south of the Isthmus. And, okay. Um, there they're sort of kept at this, ma- um, this, this mansion called the Inaros Mansion. And, and so uh, during this period, though, um, Trotsky is kept under constant police surveillance, and he also lives in fear that that not only the the Soviets are going to kill him, but he's also worried about exiled uh, members of the Whites who will kill him. So not for nothing, like you know the whole constantly having to look over your shoulder in fear of you know someone knifing you. I've seen the, the um, a picture of the mansion in Yanaros, and I'll tell you what, I could think of worse places to be. Crystal clear Mediterranean. Well, I mean, it looks beautiful. <laughs> Looks fucking beautiful, you know. Like I said, aside from that whole like people trying to kill you and Joseph Stalin back there in the in the Soviet Union getting real pissed off at you. I'm going to find you, Leon. Ah, hey, listen, you already kicked me out twice, three times, four times. There's some like, there's some former whites, you know, with like handlebar mustaches, just like twirling a chain like outside like the gate. But, okay, but aside, what is this the warriors really beautiful picture picturesque like island mansion though it's really nice hmm. so trotsky wants out um and eventually in july of 1933 he's there for about four years he's offered asylum by the president of france at the time um edouard um Daladier. trotsky accepts this offer um but 
there, there's sort of some riders to it that, that I don't think he was really um, aware of when he agreed to it. Um, he's told that he can't live in Paris, um, and the, the Trotskys are forced to settle in a town called Royan, which is, a, which is on the southwest coast of France. Um, so, so sort of on the coast between uh, Brittany and, and Spain. Okay. It, that, in February of 34, there, there's what's called the uh, February 6, 1934 crisis. And what happens is, is these anti-parliament fascist rioters in Paris, um, they, they sort of start rioting and, and after having big demonstrations, and they ignite fears of a fascist coup is going to happen. And these these also were, cause now, were these people were these people fascists, the the protesters. Yeah, the protesters and rioters, or were they just afraid that the fascists were about to take power? No, no, they're actual like fascists. Okay. Um, and then these cause like anti-fascists to also riot. Um, so it, it's sort of setting off the situation, which which tends to happen a lot in France during this period, um, where where communists and fascists are sort of fighting. Um, and it causes this sort of, like, mini-crisis. Goddamn Antifa! Um, so, the French authorities, um, in order <laughs> to deal with this... They're out there being violent, you didn't know? They. <laughs> I'm still waiting on my George Soros check. And, still waiting, Georgie. And, and speaking of that, the, the French authorities decide that they need to get rid of Trotsky. Um, because during um, this period, Trotsky is... He's still writing, he's still calling for the overthrow of, like, capitalist governments... Um, and then eventually he starts calling for the overthrow of, of Stalin and the current system in the Soviet Union. So he's actively calling for the overthrow of the governments that are giving him asylum in a lot of cases. <laughs> you know, I appreciate you guys giving me uh, this apartment room here. It's fantastic, but uh, I really feel Leo, like you still have got to go. I really feel like you've got someone to go. get Leo the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but so the the authorities try to deport him, but. Uh, they're they're unable to find a country that will take him. <laughs> well, he's been everywhere. Fuck! How bad is your reputation when they're calling around and everybody's like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, who? Spell that again, last name." Oh fuck you! And just hang up. Like, Absolutely no, no, reputation? dude. Even better. It's just a guy in a room going, "Spell that name one more time." And he just looks up, and there's just a picture of Leon Trotsky and says, "Do not allow he's on this the wall. man. Do not allow this man to come nah. in." Nah. <laughs> or they just nah, nah, with the beady little eyes and them stupid little glasses. Yeah, Homer yeah. Simpson nah. thing. Do not do not cash checks from this man. <laughs> <laughs> He like he, he calls up and it's it's just like this like very polite like like French like secretary and they're just like all right now how do you spell that and then he just like before he can even finish you just hear the click of the phone hanging up. <laughs> it's that really audible like like that. It's, like, um, it's over. Oh so God. so because no one will take him, um, they force him to relocate to this village um, called Barbizon, which is south of Paris, and there he's sort of kept under police security. So, what is his deal? Like, why... Okay. They're, they're... He goes places, right? He goes places. He's kicked out of... He's kicked out of... He's exiled from, like, his 845th place. Some place decides to harbor him. He goes and stirs the pot wherever the fuck he's at, and then they're like, okay, we're done with your shit. Get the fuck out. That's basically what his MO is? Pretty much. They, they, just, get, they just get tired of dealing with him, and since they can deport him, they deport him. Um, and and they're, they're, sort of the fear they have is that um, that he's going to sort of set off the people they have in their country 
Um, they're worried that, you know, he's he's going to agitate them and get them going. So they just want to get rid of him because if, if he's out of the country, they feel he, he'll be less of an influence. But he's also under, like, their asylum laws, I'm assuming, so they can't just, like, literally give him the boot? Yeah, they're, they're sort of giving him political asylum, um, but they're they're keeping a close eye on him. And they're getting real tired of his shit. Okay, okay. This this eventually comes to a head on May 2nd, 1935, um, where France and the Soviet Union sign a treaty of mutual assistance. It's sort of a defense pact they sign. Um, and because Against Trotsky? No, no, against, like, just <laughs> hypothetically against Germany. I can see two countries. <laughs> Listen, let's sign back so that the dickheads cannot come back again. <laughs> the, the No Trotsky's Alliance. No, they're just adding, yeah, the No Trotsky Club. What are they like? They're oh like eight-year-olds with a fort. Leon's not allowed in the fort. It's a No Leon Club, guys. <laughs> we already you got... Leon, you're not allowed to join the club, Leon. And we already have Jean Renault, so you gotta get out. <laughs> oh man! Oh, and, and, and because Trotsky is told to leave, um, he's also having health problems during this period. Um, he applies to live in Norway. He he has a friend, um, sort of sort of someone he's been corresponding with that he'll live with. This politician named Conrad Conrad Knudsen, and oh, he Conrad and he's given permission Knudsen. to reside there. Um, under the watch of, of Conrad Knudsen. And, and he's given this permission by the Justice Minister. Um, I give, think the K is silent in that one there, Steve. Try give Lee the Knudsen. I think it would be Conrad Knudsen. Yeah, I know so, I know someone with that last name. I think the K is silent on that one. I don't know. I think the K, the K is pronounced definitely in Conrad. I don't think it's Onrad, but it's it's definitely Knudsen. Because then there's this other guy that's just like a game designer. His, his last name's like K-N-I-C-I-A. And I thought it was... I thought it was oh shit! I thought it was uh, uh, Nietzsche, but it's Knizia, so you just have no idea. Anyway, it, apparently it's pronounced Knudsen. Oh, yeah, there you go. Because it's like it's like our boy uh, our boy in uh, Vidwin Saga, Seanut. <laughs> it's it's Knut. Yeah, right. Exactly. The 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 K N it makes a there, there's a. There's sort of an aspirated, I, I guess you'd say, an aspiration there. Yeah. So while while Trotsky is living in Norway, he, he's officially the guest of this um, this artist and politician named um, Conrad Knudsen. Um, but the, the government becomes uneasy about holding him because the fascist party in um, in Norway, uh, the National um, Samling Party, um, there. I'm sorry, the National what party? It, it's National. Which, which I think is probably just national, and then sampling. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, th- the, this is actually the fascist party, too, that will ally with the Nazis when the Nazis invade Norway during World War II. Um, mm-hmm. They they begin lobbying to have Trotsky thrown out of the country, and the Soviet Union is also lobbying uh, Norway to expel Trotsky. So the Damn. communists and the fascists are, are sort of pushing for, for Trotsky to get kicked out of Norway. Fucking everybody hates this guy. Um, on, on August 5th of 1936, um, the fascists break into the Knudsen household and vandalize and steal Trotsky's work, uh, work but they're foiled um, by the Knudsen's daughter, Jordis. Um, she had been, um, she had stayed Jordash? behind. Jordash? Jordis. <laughs> oh, okay. H-J-O-R-D-I-S. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Oh. 
We apologize in advance for the absolute butchering of all these Scandinavian names. I have no idea how to pronounce that. This is terrible. You just said Um, that, and my brain just, like, my eyes crossed. So the the Trotskys of the Knutson, they had been away on on a trip, um, but the daughter had stayed behind, and she sort of comes across these these fascists, you know, breaking into their house, um, and and they just sort of do do a snatch and run, and they just grab some of Trotsky's papers that were close to the door and run off. And, and they use these papers as evidence against Trotsky as well, because um, I'm guessing Trotsky talked about, you know, the, the situation in Norway or, or other situations involving um, current governments and capitalism, and they use that as evidence against him. Hmm. Not long after this, the show trials begin in Moscow. Um, so on August 25th, 1936, um, the first of a series of show trials are held. Um, and these, the people who are tried in this, they're, they're claimed to be prominent members of this, what is referred to as the Trotskyite Zinoviite Terrorist Center. Jesus. Wow, okay. And the accusations are, are largely um, fantasy, and they're used by Stalin to consolidate power and eliminate anyone that could possibly oppose him. And, and it also, too, uh, part of the, the show trials and, and the Great Purge is, is sort of as a release valve, because... Stalin has begun this sort of system of, of crash industrialization. Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union is expanding exponentially um, industrially. Um, they, they've gone from having like very little development into being very developed. And in that time, you know, there's been a lot of accidents. People have died in, in factory accidents or train accidents, like things like that, construction accidents. <laughs> accidents with the extreme quotation marks. And, and all, of, <laughs> all of these things are sort of the fault of the state. But what they do is they say, like, oh, no, no, these weren't accidents that were caused by, you know, us, like, cutting corners or, or not being safe. These are accidents that are caused by these terrorists. These the, goddamn terrorists. These, these terrorists, these these sabotagers, these wreckers. Um, and, and the thing that makes a lot of it ridiculous is that Trotsky is sort of said to be working with the Nazis. Mm. Is, that, is that Trotsky, like, they give these detailed things of, like, what happened, and they say, like... Trotsky, tra- I traveled here to meet with Trotsky and like Himmler, and I got I got these these fake papers or I got these weapons from them, and a lot of these communists that are accused of doing this are Jewish as well, and and sort of the 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 narrative that that Stalin sort of leaves with this is that they're they're allying with the Nazis because the Nazis are going to invade the Soviet Union, and they're doing this to destroy the economy to make way for an invasion. And then after the invasion happens, the Nazis are going to make them, you know, sort of the leaders of the of what replaces the Soviet Union. <sighs> My man Leon, what are you doing consorting with the Nazis? They're the only ones who would have them. Yo, how bad of a, how shitty of a person <laughs> are you when the Nazis are the only people that'll take you in? <laughs> Holy fuck! So they 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 make these accusations. They're all unfound. Everyone everyone who's tried under this is pretty much innocent. It, it's all just reviews as excuses. Um, anytime there's like an accident or delays to, to construction or anything, it's blamed on being this like terrorist plot. Mm-hmm. Like, it, if it was like taking place like in Florida, like just think of like a project like like I four any other like highway project that's been going on forever. It's mm-hmm. like that type of deal where like oh there's been delays. Well, you know why there's been delays? This guy's working for the Nazis. <laughs> it's not government incompetence. It's not the fact that you got one guy working while 15 guys stand around and talk. It's because there's Nazis. So after, uh, during these trials, um, Zinoviev and Kamenev are, are sentenced to death. Trotsky is sentenced to death in absentia. 
Um, so, so even though Trotsky isn't there, they, they still try him and, and sentence him to death. Um, so all the surviving members of the Lenin-era party leadership, except Stalin and Trotsky, were tried. Um, by the end of the final trial, Stalin had arrested and executed almost every important living Bolshevik from the revolution. So he, so he just of, wholesale uh, murdered, one th- basically. Yeah, basically. Of 1,966 delegates to the party congress in 1934, 1,108 were arrested. Of, 30, of 139 members of the Central Committee, 98 were arrested. Um, three out of five Soviet marshals, Yegorov, Bleicher, and, and Tugachevsky, and several thousand of Red Army officers were arrested or shot. Mm. So he, he just cleans house. Um, yeah, he clearly just doesn't give a fuck. He's just, everybody's gone. Bye. And, and this, is what, um, this is what Trotsky had to say about the trials. The Moscow trials are, pep- are perpetrated under the banner of socialism. We will not concede this banner to the masters of falsehood. If our generation happens to be too weak to establish socialism over the earth, we will hand the spotless banner down to our children. The struggle which is in the offing transcends by far the importance of individuals, factions, and parties. It is the struggle for the future of all mankind. It will be severe. It will be lengthy. Whoever seeks physical comfort and spiritual calm, let him step aside. In time of reaction, it is more convenient to lean on the bureaucracy than on the truth. But all those for whom the word socialism is not a hollow sound, but the content of their moral life forward. Neither threats nor persecutions nor violations can stop us. Be it even over our bleaching bones, the future will triumph. We will blaze the trail for it. It will conquer. Under all the severe blows of fate, I shall be happy as in the best days of my youth, because my friends... The highest human happiness is not the exploitation of the present, but the preparation of the future. Oh, he knows. He knows. So after the trials begin, um, on August 26, Trotsky is forced by the police to sign new terms for his staying in Norway. The conditions he had to agree to were that he could write no more about current political matters. He could give no interviews. He had to have all of his correspondence incoming and outgoing inspected by the police. And... And Trotsky sort of refuses these conditions, um, but then he was told that he and his wife would soon be moved to another residence. And then, and then the following day, he's interrogated by the police. Um, they they claim it's in relation to the break-in that happened at the house they were staying in, but in reality, it's just a way for the police to to interrogate and harass him. Huh, of course. On September second, Trotsky and his wife were forced to relocate to a farm in 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 Horum, which is a village on the southeast coast of Norway. There, they're under uh, constant surveillance by 13 policemen. Um, They must remain inside for 22 hours a day. Um, Trotsky is not allowed to send mail or respond to critics. He's only allowed visitors or his lawyer, who was supplied to him by the Labor Party. During this time, though, Trotsky is able to smuggle out one letter. um, (laughs) And it's it's called the Moscow Confessions. And it sort of further challenges the narrative of the Moscow show trials. What the fuck is with the the, the naming of all these letters? Like, is that like a is that like a later a, like a name for it? Like you know, and like or or did he pen that name with it? What the, did he title his letter like the Moscow Confessions? Yeah, he has confessions in in quotation. Oh, okay. Because these are these are letters that I are mean, like published. They're like yeah, I mean, they are politicians too. So he's definitely trying to frame all this stuff correctly. Oh, well, they're okay. framing him, oh, and right. then he's framing them. And then frame. It's a double it's a frame. Triple double frame. Back. frame. On on December nineteenth, 
Um, Trotsky and his family are deported to Mexico. <laughs> and and they're deported under guard um, on an oil tanker. On an oil tanker? That's a shitty way to go. From um, Norway to Mexico on an oil tanker? Yeah, it takes them about Ugh. a month to get there. Because they <laughs> arrive on January 9th, 1937. Well, if we leave today, we'll be there in March. Well, as long as we don't make any stops, you know, we'll, we should get there, you know, within like, a month. It's like uh, the Irishman. Hey, they got to do stop for cigarette breaks because there's no smoking on the ship. It is an oil That's tanker. That's Yeah, I don't think it would be smart. I don't think it'd be smart to just. just I don't think oil has a high tanker. flash point, though. I think it, yeah, you really got to get it hot. Yeah, <laughs> I I look at a lot of dice? roughnecks, and I I think like yeah, these guys are probably smoking at least yeah. a pack a day. Well, they're going to die anyway. They're just hanging around carcinogens like crazy. Just borrowing time. time. Getting paid well, though. Got myself an F-150. <laughs> Canadian Mercedes. What more could I want? <laughs> Was it the Canadian Mercedes? <laughs> F-150. <laughs> so on January 9th, the, the Trotskys arrive in Mexico. They're welcomed by the president of Mexico, Lazaro uh, Cardenas. And they're taken by the presidential train, the Hidalgo, um, to Mexico City. Um, they actually land in the port of uh, Tampico, which was the one we talked about before when we talked about uh, we talked about our boy Smedley Butler. Smedley Butler? Yeah, because he he had an incident in Tampico. So I guess it's like the main the main port um, closest to Mexico City. Gotcha. So Mexico had a lot of like sort of uh, during this period, the government is very left leaning. Um, and they also, after the Spanish Civil War fails, um, they they bring in the Spanish Republican government, and the Spanish Republican government sort of stays there in exile um, until the Franco regime is overthrown in the 70s. Mm, okay. I feel like we're coming up close to my boy Ramon. And then, um, yeah. largely, he was, he was invited to Mexico um, because some of his foreign supporters, um, Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, had had requested the government give him asylum. Um, Kahlo had, had actually been an adherent of Trotsky's, um, and she had sort of joined efforts to form the Fourth International in 1936. Okay. Um, and they, they largely stay, uh, the Trotsky's will largely stay with Re, uh, Rivera and Kahlo in their residence, which is called the Blue House, um, which is now the, like the Frida Kahlo Museum. Mm-hmm. Not long after he arrives in Mexico, um, the Spanish Civil War kicks off. And, and one of the things, just to show the length of how far the Soviet Union will go, how far Stalin will go to sort of eliminate people associated with Trotsky, is that um, in, uh, from May 3rd to May 8th in 1937, there's an event called the May Days. Mm-hmm. And George Orwell writes about this a lot because he was there and he was actually fighting alongside this group that gets eliminated is that Stalin essentially tells the Communist Party in Spain that they need to get rid of all these other um, Marxist and socialist and anarchist parties that are not like members of the Communist Party who haven't sort of joined up. Mm -hmm. He, He tells them they need to get rid of them and the Spanish communists are actually being helped by, like, the NKVD. They, they have Soviet advisors, and the Soviet Union is sending sort of secret policemen to show them how to do things. Hmm. One of these parties is the Workers' Party of Marxist Unification, um, the POUM, as the acronym that it goes by. Um, and originally, this was two parties. One of them was a Trotskyite party, um, but it, it had sort of allied itself with another party, merged with them, which Trotsky was opposed to, and he sort of disowned them. 
So they're not okay. even an orthodox like Trotskyite party. Um, they were just at one point a Trotskyite party that sort of broke away from him and he disowned. Mm-hmm. And they target them as well as like the anarchist groups like the CNT, FI, or FAI. It, it's just sort of this big bloodbath that happened. Um, and this is all while the civil war is still going on. They're still fighting the, the nationalists. Um, but the, the Soviet Union feels that they need to take the time to sort of wipe out their allies. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of done is that they're expanding the the terror of the show trials internationally, and they're also sort of eliminating other um, communists abroad and elsewhere, removing them from the party or killing them if they feel the need to. Sort of uh, around uh, not long after this too, uh, the Fourth International was formally is formally formed. Trotsky had sort of been planning on forming a Fourth International since 1935, and the formal planning sort of began in 1936. And the idea was to make an internationalist and anti-Stalinist alternative to the common turn. Um, their, their ultimate goal was to topple both uh, capitalism and Stalin. Okay. Is um, that... Wait, wait, all right. Okay. The, the Fourth International is, is um, founded in Paris. Um, and, and not long... Uh, it doesn't really last that long. Um, it goes through some major splits in 1940 after Trotsky dies. And then it continues to splinter after after that into obscurity by the 1960s gotcha so trotsky is trying to form the sort of international opposition to sort of what the soviet union's doing he's largely unsuccessful um and then um this this sort of alliance sort of disintegrates Mm -hmm. and it should be noted as well during this time as well that while trotsky is living with Kahlo and rivera he is carrying on an affair with frida Kahlo, as mentioned before right yeah that's what i was talking about last episode <laughs> how old is he at this point yeah yeah well it's 1930 it's 1930-ish so he's about like 59 yeah. 60 getting getting up with the frida Kahlo. yeah uh, frida Kahlo and diego rivera they they both carried on like multiple affairs yeah. like they were one of those couples where, like, if they ever had a fight or they ever had a disagreement about something, like, the way they got back at each other was just by, boning like, the gardener. carrying on an affair just with somebody. the gardener. <laughs> so they're basically just polyamorous. Kind of. But they're, they they sort of have an, a, an open relationship that's not agreed upon. <laughs> it's like an unspoken agreement of an open relationship. Yeah, they, but only when we get mad at each other. They eventually separate. Um, but but oh, Kahlo, who, who saw that coming? But but Kahlo does seem to have like the better. She she seems to have the better record because she does. Um, she does carry on an affair with uh, Josephine Baker, the Black Venus. Um, yeah. So so she does seem to do better than uh, than Rivera. Hmm. I mean, doesn't doesn't the woman usually do better anyway? It's debatable. Um, so, anyways, um, Trotsky's sort of, um, sort of trying to, trying to stay relevant. Um, he, he's writing, he's working on things. Um, at, at one point in 1939, he's actually approached by, um, the United States Congress. Um, th- there, there's a correct congressional committee that's chaired by a representative, Martin Dyes Jr. Um, Martin Dyes Jr. is a, is a Democratic representative from Texas, and he sort of founds this committee that's a precursor to the House of Un-American Activities. And, and sort of the idea of his committee is that he's investigating extremists. So he's investigating communists, he's investigating fascists. Um, allegedly, he's supposed to be investigating like extremist groups like the Klan. But mostly all he does is just sort of um, investigate and harass um, leftists. Oh, doesn't sound uh, 
anything at all like 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 what the government does. When, when it's sort of brought up, like, why aren't you doing anything about the Ku Klux Klan? He says that they couldn't really find anything on them. And then he also says that it's a lot more difficult considering they're a very American organization. Because all their members are also our members. <laughs> he's, he's, he's incredibly anti-communist and he's very, like, racist. Um, in, in 1929, he said that um, he said issues with, like, unemployment were caused by immigrants. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that like kicks the hood up underneath his desk when people walk in. <laughs> so, he absolutely a clan member. He wants Trotsky to come speak at this committee um, because he wants to suppress the Communist Party, and he wants Trotsky to sort of talk about you know all the stuff the Communist Party did to him and like how bad they are. But he doesn't really realize what type of person Trotsky is, and then eventually, after people talk to him about it, he rescinds the invitation. Um, because he realizes that all Trotsky is going to do is that he's going to talk about his platforms and he's going to advocate um, against the suppression of the Communist Party and also call for a worldwide revolution. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Um, I mean, that's that's obviously what he's going to do. Because it's 1939, um, the Second World War has popped off, and Trotsky is of the mind that the Second World War is going to cause another wave of revolutions like World War One did. He, he thinks that, um, whereas World War One was sort of the thing that pushed Europe over the edge into those waves of communist revolutions, he thinks that World War II is going to do the same. Uh, you missed, missed the target on that Shot a little, a little bit, wide. Boy. <laughs> well, you know what? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. All right, there, Gretzky. I was going to say, wasn't that Michael a Michael Scott, Scott quote that Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky stole? Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a Michael Scott yeah, original. Gretzky. Yeah, no, Wayne Gretzky stole <laughs> um, from Michael Scott. That's what happened. It's a way, it's I spoke a Michael to Scott the Troika, and that's that's how we've decided. That's it. <laughs> so, in in March of 1939, sort of Stalinists decided that they need to deal with Trotsky, and the NKVD had planned to kill him, but they had failed. Like so, things didn't line up. They weren't able to get a good chance to kill him. So Stalin has the NKVD implement a special plan to carry out this mission. And they create three autonomous networks whose whole purpose is to kill Trotsky. This is so fucking complicated. I swear to God. The more complicated you make an assassination, the less likely it is to succeed. Yeah, having like, having three groups that aren't communicating with each other or anyone else, like, with a sole job of, like, killing someone seems no, like... You're, yeah. That, yeah. That's not going to work. Some, mm-hmm. some comical hijinks are going to occur. Okay, so... Literally, it would be more successful if Stalin just picked somebody who's like, Hey, you, you take this ticket, we put you on this plane to Mexico. When you get to Mexico, you kill this guy, you don't say nothing, and then you come back. Yep. Instead of having, like, one group have the guns, the other one has the ammunition. They're not They're not talking. <laughs> yeah. Look, we no. really want to start the plan here, Too many but people. we just have empty guns. I mean, we need bullets. It's a team-building exercise. <laughs> <laughs> When you when you three can agree on it, you'll be able to kill Trotsky. <laughs> in in April of 1939, um, Trotsky is forced to move out of the Blue House after fighting with Rivera, and they move into a private residence nearby. So this is the they move into the house where Trotsky ends up um, being Meeting mortally wounded. Ramon. Oh no! <laughs> um, he moved it, into the house where he met Ramon Mercader. Uh, on February 26th. 27th of 1940 Trotsky um, feeling his own mortality due to health issues um, writes Trotsky's testament 
um, where, where he gives his sort of final thoughts and testament um, because he believes that he's going to die soon. He's an early Jerry Springer. <laughs> and this is Trotsky's final thoughts. Jesus. Now, when you have a relationship with multiple strippers living in the same house. <laughs> when you're exiled from 47 different countries, looking at you, Joey, you sent me out here. I'm stuck. Can I come back home yet, please? He's got one of those. He's got one of those maps that you fill in that people do of like the places they've been to. But for him, it's like all the places he's been banned from. Push pins everywhere. A fucking pin cushion of a map. He's just he's just sending out letters to countries he has no plans of actually like going to. Just just to fill hey, up the hey, map. Hey, 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 Uganda. U- Uganda. Can you take me? Oh no. <laughs> May 24th of 1940, a group of armed assassins led by an NKVD agent and a Mexican painter named um, David Alfaro uh, Siqueiros um, raided Trotsky's villa. Um, But all they did really, they were able to do was they shot Trotsky's uh, 14-year-old grandson in the foot. And then on their way out, after being like forced out, they kidnap a bodyguard um, named Robert Sheldon Hart. And they later murder him. so, so they kidnap this guy and then they kill him. Professionals, top. How they didn't pay a lot for these fucking morons because they shot a fourteen-year-old in the foot. They're paid in exposure. <laughs> this is early freelance work. I'm paying you in exposure. You're killing Trotsky, bro. Imagine the job Trotsky you're after get. this. I mean, to be fair though, Ramon did kill Trotsky, and I do remember his That's name true. to this day. In in response to this. Um, Trotsky, of course, writes an article titled Stalin Seeks My Death. Of uh, course he writes something. This clown. <laughs> and then he, he also says that he believes that there will be other attempts on his life. Which, yeah, which isn't really that big of a prediction. Fails. Yeah, I mean, if there's one attempt on your life that fails, that doesn't mean... I mean, that, that generally means there will be more until it succeeds. The guys did get away, and they did, you know, take one of your bodyguards. Mm-mm-mm. On August 20th, 1940... Um, after after sort of after becoming sort of acquainted with uh, Ramon uh, Marcador, he he, he and his uh, he and his mother had had sort of um, ingratiated themselves to the Trotskys. They had sort of they, they had sort of said that they were sympathizers and that they would do like odd jobs for him. Marcador hits Trotsky in the back of the head with an ice axe. And, and an ice axe is like a, a is like a like a climbing axe. Like if you've seen anything where like people are climbing, I gotta mountains, be honest. It's it's one of those. <laughs> you say ice axe, and I immediately think like a like a fucking D and D implement. You know, like <laughs> he got an ice axe. Just recently got back from questing, and he had an ice axe just laying around. He used his vorpal longsword and one just a just a hoarfrost, <laughs> just just steaming off of this metal all the time, and everyone just everyone just doesn't his, pay attention. His keening, his plus four keening ice axe. <laughs> Strength's not high enough. You don't need str- that's the thing. You, you don't need strength him. for uh, but- a plus four keening ice axe. You need int. But but Mercador and his uh, and his mother they had been um, they've been NKVD agents um, and and this is how he described um, how he prepared to um, attempt to kill Trotsky. He said I laid my raincoat on the table in such a way as to be able to remove the ice axe which was in the pocket. I decided not to miss the wonderful opportunity that presented itself. The moment Trotsky began reading the article, he gave me my chance. I took out the ice axe from the raincoat 
gripped it in my hand and with my eyes closed dealt him a terrible blow on the head. He probably and I didn't. He still didn't fucking kill him. Well, he probably shouldn't have closed his eyes when he, you know, went in for the strike. Yeah. Um, but but what he did was he gave Trotsky this article and he told him like you should read this. It's good. And then when Trotsky like sat down and put on his reading glasses to read it, he like hit him that in the back of the head. That was his fatal weakness. If you, if you handed him any letter, he had to read it. <laughs> Yeah. Trotsky, I get this it's new like, letter, bro. You want to read it? Much like a communist, a communist vampire. vampire. Yeah, I have to read. I will read while you kill. <laughs> a, B, C. <laughs> a- after this, though, the blow doesn't kill Trotsky. It just severely wounds him. Um, Trotsky then struggles fiercely uh, with Marketer. And then um, first he spits on him, and then he breaks um, uh, Marketer's hand in the struggle. Uh, eventually, oh shit, my boy Trotsky's got yeah, he's a got, bit of fight in him. He's okay. got scraps. Eventually, eventually Trotsky's bodyguards um, come in and they apprehend uh, Mercader after kind nearly of a bodyguard him. lets a man in with a steaming magical axe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're good. Go. <laughs> Why is it so cool in here? No reason. Hey, cool, cool axe, buddy. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I mean, but he's a, he's a little bit gangster, though. Dude comes at him with an ice axe, hits him in the fucking head while he is completely defenseless and still has enough to turn around, spit on this dude, and break his hand. I would say that's yeah, pretty he's fucking crappy. gangster. Um, Mer- Mercader- I'm from Eastside Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fuck with Eastside. <laughs> Mer- Mer- Mercader will eventually be imprisoned in Mexico until 1960 when, when he's eventually released. Um, his mother and and is is given the the order of Lenin um, by Stalin, and then he is also given it in in absentia. When he gets out of jail, though, um, he goes he goes to Cuba and then the Soviet Union, where he's given another award, and he sort of lives between Cuba and the Soviet Union until his death in 1978. Hmm. And then um, following um, following this, about a year uh, about a year later, or no, a, a day later, I'm sorry. Trotsky, um, Trotsky is operated on um, at a nearby hospital, um, but he dies due to exsanguination and shock. Ooh, that sucks. So Trotsky has died. Um, with him, the the Fourth International, like I said, largely self-destructs um, because it doesn't really have him to lead it. And then Stalin would go on to lead the Soviet Union until his death on March 5th, 1953. Trotsky is never rehabilitated by the Soviet Union. Um, a common thing they would do after Khrushchev came into power and, and subsequently after that was that the Soviet Union would go back and they would rehabilitate people who were accused of crimes against the state, uh, mostly people who died in the Great Purge. Is this rehabilitate, like, quote-unquote rehabilitate? Yeah, it, it's sort of like saying that like they didn't actually commit the crimes that they said. Um, so that, like, family members and stuff are no longer, like, sort of sh- to be associated with it. Gotcha. And, and also, too, like, if you're rehabilitated, it means, like, if you're, like, an artist or a writer, they'll, they'll start publishing your work again. It's not banned anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. So basically being whitelisted. So, Sergei Sadov, his son, who died in the Great Purge, he's rehabilitated in 1988. Trotsky's books um, are forbidden to be published until in the Soviet Union until 1987, and they are they are printed again in the Soviet Union in 1989. Are they like heavily edited, or is it just like you know? Or is it as is? I think by 89 they're as is because um, that's around the time of Glasnost and, and right. Perestroika, and, and during those eras, um, you could pretty much say whatever you whatever you wanted, which is one of the reasons why um, Russia has such a big problem with like neo Nazis yeah. is because they went a little too far with the free speech. Are you listening, America. Jesus. 
Um, Trotsky, Trotsky would be rehabilitated by the Russian government on June 16th, 2001. That's, that's a little late there. A little delayed. No, we've, it took us this long. We looked over all of his letters. It took a while. Um, God, yeah, they had to read all his fucking letters. On this the guy was writing done, six letters every day. Not even the people. Some of them were just made up. Who was the, um, I want to say he was French. The Trotsky? French guy in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a French guy that he, he had some medical issue where he had, where he basically like lived in a bathtub and all he did was write political uh, shit. And they eventually murdered him in his bathtub. It's like my Marat. I don't know what his name is. Yeah, yeah. Maybe? The death of Marat. It's like a super uh, popular uh, painting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. One of the things that happens is that, like, Trotsky becomes associated with just sort of, like, cranks, because a lot of the people that sort of go to, like, they're considered, like, Trotskyites are are sort of, like, the non, like, mainstream Marxists. And to give an example of, like, one of them is this guy um, named uh, Juan Posadas. Juan Posadas. And he is this Argentinian uh, Marxist who comes up with this sort of um, theory of, of, of sort of, like, communism. And he's, like, an early Trotskyite, but, but I think they eventually, like, kick him out, where, where they have, like... So all these all these internationals essentially, like, fracture and form their own internationals. They're, like, Baptist churches. <laughs> um, and his whole theory involves, like, that we need to have a nuclear war so that the aliens will come and, like, save us. Holy shit. And, Who is this guy? I need to subscribe to his theories. Uh, so Posadas. So he's Posadis. David and, and he also believes that, like, um, dolphins are, like, enlightened beings. And, and that, like... It, you're it's trying to say crazy. they're not? Is that what you're saying like right now? Guy. You're saying they're not? I don't know. They, they do a little too much raping to be enlightened <laughs> beings. And there's bad dolphins and there's good dolphins. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> In... In conclusion, you know, Trotsky, though, was was probably, like, one of the most influential members of of the Bolsheviks, um, though he came to the party a little late. Um, It's, you could argue pretty well that the revolution probably wouldn't have succeeded without his leadership. Um, And you also probably could have argued that if he had um, taken control of the Soviet Union instead of Stalin, um, things might have turned out differently. There's no way well, of tell- Also, water is wet. I could have told you that. If he, <laughs> if Trotsky did it instead of Stalin, it would have turned out way... Well, okay, I can't say what it would have done, but in my humble opinion, it, Russia would have fared, or Soviet Union would have fared far better than under Stalin. That That is um, debatable, because a lot of it is, you know, with the crash industrialization, the five-year plans, um, it's unknown if Trotsky would have done something like that, and if the Soviet Union would have been able to, you know, withstand an invasion by, you know, the Nazis. I also don't think that the Soviets would have lost, what was it, 30 million? Is that, is that how many they lost? They lost about, I think it's around 20 million. Okay, yeah, I, I don't think they would have lost 20 million, you know what I'm saying, in a war. It's true, because um, like a lot of the people, like Tukhachevsky, um, Tukhachevsky was sort of the father of what becomes... Um, sort of the Russian model of, of warfare for the Red Army that wins them the war. Deep operations, as it's called. Like the whole, just the meat grinder? Just send everything in the well, kitchen sink at them? They don't... It, it's sort of like a misnomer. The The Red Army didn't really use, like, human wave tactics and stuff. A lot of that is just propaganda written by former German soldiers to make themselves look better. Um, uh, okay. and, and sort of the, the, the Soviet model 
uh, of warfare is based a lot on sort of like fast attacks being elastic um the the red army was very big into having mechanized contingents they're actually sort of ahead of the game in those departments so mm-hmm. so they have this model of warfare that's sort of sort of elastic and, and you sort of build like fallback positions or, or baiting and then once you sort of like are able to find a weak spot in the enemy's like line you just punch through that hole and then you just start attacking them from the rear <laughs> <laughs> jesus <laughs> I mean, would it make sense though, as far as like a battle tactic goes? It yeah. makes sense. So there, there is some debate there. Um, no one can really know because it's one of those things that, like, one of the reasons why like alternate history tends to be bad is because it's impossible to predict what would happen. You know, if somebody else was in the position, because that one person being gone causes sort of a butterfly effect ripple that that changes everything. Yeah, that's true. Like, who's to know if? You know the Nazis would have come to power in you know the in in Germany if Stalin hadn't been around and he hadn't been directing um, Soviet foreign policy the way he was. What if Hitler just wasn't a really shitty fucking painter? Like if he was actually a good painter, maybe he would have never even gone to vent his frustrations out on the world. That is true. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the odds of that are probably low though. Because I, I've heard it argued that, uh, um, you know, even if he was a good painter, the world was still in turmoil politically at that time. So eventually you would have been forced to take a side and he was a fucking lunatic his whole life. So, yeah, again, he was a lunatic, though. I don't know if it would have come to the point without him, if it would have come to the point. Yeah, that it came yeah, to, that's you know? true. Some somebody else probably on the far right would have probably taken over. Yeah, because um, whenever there's, you know, something like the Holocaust might not have happened. But it still would have been pretty bad. Mm. Well, since we've gone on to Hitler, I think it's time we wrap it up. Yeah, this is this is the point where we realize all conversations lead to Hitler, and we stop. <laughs> all roads lead to Hitler. Is it Godwin's law? If you uh, if you read any internet argument long enough, eventually somebody references Hitler. Yeah, they'll accuse the other person of being a, a Nazi. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's insane. All right, well, we'll be back next week. New episode? Well, week after next. Week after next, so we're taking a week off, right then? Well, we do every other week, remember? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll try to do one. I just show up to record, honestly. Uh, We're not going to do one next week, but next week is going to be pretty busy, and then the week after. We'll we'll do one the week after. Yeah, right before the first of the year. Right before the first season. We should pick a topic from 100 years ago. See? man. Um, All right. Yeah, we'll think about it. I, also, I, if anybody has any suggestions, please hit us up. Yep. We're glad to hear them. The Trilateral Troika at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash the Trilateral Troika. <laughs> little, I was informed that Facebook is for old people, so. A little site called Facebook. Perhaps you've heard of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think they're made by Squarespace. All right. but. And uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get Leon the fuck out of here. Goodbye. Somebody get Leon the hell out of here, please. Later. Later, guys.